If you have your Bible with you, or if you'd like to take one that's provided for you there in the pew, will you open it up to the first page, please, to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read the first three verses of the Bible here in just a moment. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, is where we'll start here in just a second. Grateful for the presence of all, and as has been said, we're especially grateful for our visitors. We're We're grateful that you have chosen to be here this morning to consider things of a spiritual nature. And we we hope you know that you're our honored guests and and it's our desire to treat you in just that way. We're glad you're here and I believe God's glad you're here as well um, as we consider these things and and praise Him. Uh, May He be glorified in the things that we do. Uh, School has started, I think now for just about everybody, Uh, maybe those who are in college still have a few last precious days before classes begin, but I've always had a a love-hate relationship, not with school particularly, I've always kind of enjoyed school, but with the school bell specifically. Uh, I love that the school bell meant class was over, or the school day was over, and now it was time to go home, but I hated what this represented. It represented a schedule. It represented I had to be somewhere at a certain time, and if I wasn't there at that time, then there were consequences for that. That's why my senior year of high school, I was in the cafeteria every single day washing dishes because I was there after this thing went off every day. Um, And it meant, you know, it goes off, you got five minutes to get to the next place. I just, I hated that schedule. So it was a love-hate relationship, right? Now, summer, on the other hand, that was a love-love relationship. I I loved summer. I loved, among other things, that there was no schedule there. You know, you kind of did something new every day. You you, you got up late. You went to bed late. There wasn't this this strict order, this strict schedule. That changed when I was 14 and I got a summer job. But up to that point, summer was was beautiful because it was inconsistent. No, No schedule. Uh, As a teacher, my relationship with the bell in some ways was even worse. That bell constrains me. It constricts me. It keeps me from finishing what I planned and prepared. And no no matter how pleasant the little melody that we have here at the the church building instead of this kind of bell, no matter how pleasant that little melody is, I still hate it, right? Class is over. Um, Well, you maybe think I'm not very good at that, and that's true. In fact, with the kids in the back, I I tell them the the very same thing that I told the kids when I was teaching in public school. The bell doesn't end class, I end the class, right? And yet this bell is fighting against me. Uh, If there are administrators in the audience, and I know that there are, I'm one of those teachers who was an agent of chaos, right? I've got one more minute that I need to have with these kids before I send them off to the next class. And that's my personality in a lot of ways. I understand that. And so it pains me to admit before all of you this morning, that God is a God of the bell. God is a God of order, a God of schedule and routine. And I want us to consider our schedules this morning, specifically how for many of us, and in some ways for all of us, summer is over and school has begun. And whatever that looks like in your life or in your family, maybe uh, you don't have kids in school, but maybe it's you don't see the grandkids as much during the day or only at certain times. Or, or maybe it's just that you know everybody's traveling less and so everybody's here at services, at least as a general rule. Whatever that looks like for you in your life, I want to suggest this morning that we can use this forced schedule, this, this set calendar to build good and godly routines in our lives. 
In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, the Net Bible says, For God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. Just as God is a God of love and of light, just as God is one, God is a God of order. God is order. That's who he is. That's what his character is. And we see this from the very beginning. If you're in Genesis chapter 1, read with me in verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and I think that's a summation of everything that's going to come next. In verse 2, we see see the pre-creation, the nothingness. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. It says that the earth was without form and void. It was unordered and uninhabited. It was formless and empty. It was a nothingness without order. And God speaks to bring order in the form of light. And all of a sudden there's light and darkness. There's an order to these things. Ironically, that same Hebrew phrase of without form and void is used in Jeremiah 4 in verse 23 of of judgment upon the land or the earth, the the same word that is used there in verse 2. Jeremiah 4.23 says, I looked at the land and saw that it was an empty wasteland. I looked up at the sky and its light had vanished. What is judgment? Well, judgment is when God has turned against us, and the worst form of judgment is when God is removed from us. Disorder is what it is like without God and without God's direction. Order, on the other hand, is what God creates. Order is what God gives. And so God, in Genesis 1, creates and arranges, among other things, ordered time. He creates evening and morning, a day. And each of these days describes itself in these ways in the text. Evening and morning the first day and the second day and the third day. He creates the universe over the course of a week. And God determined and appointed all of this order into our lives as as human beings. Even when it gets down to the things that we need as human beings in order to survive, what do we need? Um, You know, right? We need water and food and shelter, right? We need those things in our lives in order to, to survive. And, and we're told by Jesus that we're supposed to pray for our daily bread, that God provides these things on a daily basis for us. But many researchers and biologists in today's world would add another to those three. They would add sleep, that we need sleep as human beings, that we can't survive without it. Well, what is sleep? Um, It's an annoyance to some of us, right? It's an enjoyment for others. And yet sleep is very much this idea of there's an order to our lives. There's a pattern to our lives. It's God-given evening and morning that we're asleep and then we're awake and then we're asleep and then we're awake. And the interesting thing to me is I I read a whole book on this not too long ago, why we sleep and the, the need for sleep, all these sorts of things. Evolutionary scientists don't know why we sleep. They don't understand this idea of sleep. It serves no evolutionary function. I mean, think about it. When you're asleep, you're most vulnerable to attack. You can't go out and eat or get food. You can't reproduce. Where did this come from? 
Well, we know as Christians that God put it there as part of this ordered rhythm of life. And then God set up an ordered calendar for his own special people, the the Jews, that mirrored that original week of creation. Moses is writing these things in Genesis in part for that very reason, to explain to them this is why you have seven days in the week. This is why you rest on the seventh day. And we know, of course, that God arranged the movement of, of our planet into a calendar for everyone. But the children of Abraham had something more specific. Seven days in a week with the Sabbath rest. Seven feasts in a year. A seventh year of rest for the land. And then every seven times seven years there was an additional 50th year of Jubilee. Well that's, for many people, that's a lifetime, right? A lifetime arranged by God in the form of a schedule, of a a calendar. And there was a regular routine for the system of sacrifices as well. This thing that kept people in fellowship with God, these sacrifices that were were offered so that they could have this relationship with Him. Every day there were two sacrifices that must be offered at the same time. There was a sacrifice for the priests every single day. There were weekly sacrifices on the Sabbath day. There were monthly sacrifices. There were yearly sacrifices. And so what God did was he took a big calendar and he arranged it. And he said, you as my people, you need to follow these things to be in a right relationship with me. And all of these things were a reminder that God's people did not, or or at least they should not, determine the ebb and flow of their own lives. That God is ultimately the one who was directing their lives and arranging their lives that he made he made everything that they're supposed to be doing down to the very calendar he directs their routines and their habits and we see that Jesus himself fit into the sort of daily routine of God's calendar as well turn to the new testament to Luke chapter 4 if you would We know that sometime during the intertestamental period, um, the synagogue became something that served a function on the Sabbath day for the Jews, a place of worship, a place of study, a place of community. And so every Sabbath day you would go go to the synagogue. And we see that Jesus did this same thing. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, so he, Jesus, came to Nazareth. Well, what was Nazareth? That was his hometown, or at least the place where he was raised, where he had been brought up, it says. And as his custom was, this was his habit, this was his routine, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he's going to read from Isaiah, he's going to declare that he's here to fulfill God's purposes and all those sorts of things. But I want you to focus on that idea that here in his hometown it was known that Jesus was going to be on the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He followed this calendar while on earth. His habit was to be at synagogue on the Sabbath. And Jesus himself said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And and what that tells us, at least in part, is we need not just rest, but we need routine in our lives, the routine that God provides. And Jesus established habits beyond those specifically commanded by Scripture, of course. You turn over to Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles, Luke chapter 22.
This is just before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. We know that that took place at the, in the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And it says in verse 39, Luke says, Coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he had come to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. This was his habit his manner of life. And just as it was Daniel's custom since his youth to pray three times a day, this was Jesus' custom while in Jerusalem. He made it a habit to withdraw here to to the garden, to the Mount of Olives in order to pray. And he did so with such frequency that Judas had no problem figuring out where Jesus would be here in the dark and still of the night. If we turn a chapter earlier in Luke chapter 21 and verse 37, we see this routine, this this pattern established in Luke 21 and verse 37. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple here in his last week. But at night, he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet, the, uh, the Mount of Olives. He needed to have this habit in his life now more than ever. And in this Last week where his, his greatest temptation is coming, where his betrayal and arrest and crucifixion is on the horizon, he ended every day during this most testing time of his life by having this routine of going to a certain place to find God in prayer. And may I suggest that it should be no different for us as Christians, that we need holy routines in our lives. And whatever your personality is, if you're somebody like me who bucks against schedules and routines and writing stuff down and being on time and all of those sorts of things, or whether you're somebody who naturally that appeals to you, you know, you want to have a schedule and you have every minute of every day planned, we as human beings and more specifically as Christians, we need to have holy routines in our lives. And I think we see that even in the metaphors for Christian living that are described in the Bible. You, you think about the occupations that are, are compared to being a Christian. For example, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, a couple of more scriptures and then we'll make some applications this morning. Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's that organization coming out. I just want all of you to experience that. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice in verse 3, you therefore, you Christians, especially those of you who intend to teach others, and specifically you Timothy, what am I comparing your spiritual life to? You must endure a hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So you think about a soldier and what a soldier is. That's one of the comparisons that he makes. And so he says in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And then in verse 5, he gives another comparison. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we have the soldier, we have the athlete. Then in verse 6, the hardworking farmer must first partake 
must be first to partake of the crops. Um, and he's going to go on and describe how Jesus was one who endured persecution and suffering and so forth and how you need to be working um, in all of these things and be diligent to uh, present yourself to God, approved, and, and so on and so forth. But I want you to look at those three images that he gives. These are occupations driven and characterized by daily routine. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. What do those three have in common? Well, among other things, they follow a very specific schedule. And this isn't Paul's primary point in the context, but regimented discipline and repeated daily work is the calling card of, of those people's lives. They live the same day over and over and over, and they are successful because of that. The athlete has to train daily, disciplining himself or herself, and competes according to a strict adherence to a set of rules that govern his or her sport. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're disqualified. Or if you say, you know what, I'm going to sleep in today, or I'm going to skip leg day today, then you're not going to be able to function in the way that you ought to. You have to follow that routine. Secondly, we see this farmer. The farmer, in order to partake of the harvest, has to rise early and complete the daily tasks of the farm. And that's something that they have to do every single day, right? It's not something that you can skip just because you don't feel like it. Um, if you skip too many days as a farmer, what happens? You don't have any crops. You're not the first to partake of the harvest of your crops. Why is the farmer the first to partake of it? Because he needs it in order to eat, in order to survive, right? That routine must be in place. Um, talking about school starting again and getting back into the, the routine, the, the girls were talking about uh, getting up early. You know, obviously we have to get up much earlier for school than, than what we have to do in the summertime. And so I was telling them about, this, this is dating me, aging me, because, you know, we got to tell them about, well, when I was young, no, not for me specifically, but for their great-grandfather, my grandfather, on my dad's side. Every morning when he was a kid, their age, right? So starting at like seven or eight and then going until he graduated high school, he had to get up before dawn and walk to school uphill in the snow both ways. No. He had to get up before dawn and milk the cows every single morning. And it didn't matter if he felt like it or not. It didn't matter if he was sick or not. It didn't matter if it was a day off of school or not. He got up every morning and milked the cows before dawn. And then he did actually walk to school, but it was East Texas, so there was very little snow involved. That idea of having to get up early, well, that's what a farmer does, right? And so we see this routine. I have to get up early, and if I don't milk the cows, then it's going to throw everything off. Uh, same thing with crops, same thing with all the other ideas of farming as well. He couldn't sleep in on Saturdays. He couldn't skip it. That's just the daily routine. And then, of course, the soldier. The soldier seeks to please him who enlisted him by obeying orders. And those orders are carried out according to what I've been told is a mind-numbing, do it over and over again until it's second nature sort of routine. And so we see these three ideas, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. My other grandfather, the one on my mother's side, he served in the army right out of high school. He was a farmer for most of his life, and he was a very good athlete as a young man. To say that he enjoyed routine would be an understatement to those who knew him best. 
And one of his favorite verses is found in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to, turn to this passage and then again we'll make some applications. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read first in verse 1 to kind of set the context. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We're God's children. We're supposed to imitate Him. And if God is a God of order and routine, what does that mean for us? We're supposed to be people of order and routine. And so he tells us how to live, how to walk. And we talked about that a couple of Sundays ago, this idea of daily walk. And you're supposed to walk in love. You're supposed to walk as children of light because God is light. You're children of light. And you walk in the light, not in darkness. You're supposed to expose those things because that's what darkness, that's what light does to darkness. But then notice down in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. You walk carefully. Maybe your translation says, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, the idea of evil there is that the days are short. The days can be unfair. They're tough. They're, they're filled with evil all around us if we're not careful. And so we need to make the most of our time. We need to redeem our time. And, and that's what walking in wisdom looks like. The kind of people who make the most of the time that we have on earth. Because these days are evil. And these days are going to be over before we know it. That was one of my granddad's favorite, favorite scriptures. What does that look like? Well, among other things, it looks like someone who manages their time to include spiritual things. And that's what I want us to do this school year. I want us to redeem the time through Routine. So let's see if we can make some application to these things. Um, where should we establish these kind of spiritual, holy routines? Well, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want you to consider a few things this morning. See what routines you can put into your own life and maybe add to this list as well. Um, the first place where we should establish routines is just in coming to worship. Does God direct our calendar in the same sort of way that he did his people of old? Uh, well, we know that we as Christians under the New Covenant are not dictated to in the same way. There's not the seven feast days. There's not the, the seventh year rest. There's not the year of Jubilee. There's not the daily sacrifices and weekly Sabbaths. All those sorts of things. We, we, we don't have those same sort of regulations. But can I humbly suggest that that God should be at the center of our calendar to the same degree as he was for them. That we order our lives, our days, our weeks, our months, our years, we order those things after the things of God. Not just by requirement. You know, uh, we think about, well, what's the one thing in God's calendar we got to do? We got to be at church on Sundays, right? Well, that's true. We need to do that. But in regard to our desire to worship him regularly, he should direct us in that. You know, we read that word that Jesus was accustomed to going to the Mount of Olives in order to pray. That's what his custom was. When he's in Jerusalem, he spends time in the temple, and he goes into the temple, and he teaches, and he heals, and he has discussions with these folks, all these sorts of things. And then in the evening, every evening, and we know he's staying in Bethany. We're told that in another gospel. And, and so he goes to the Mount of Olives seemingly to pray. 
Every single day in, at nighttime, that's where we can find him. Well, that same word that he was accustomed to this or this was his habit or this was uh, what he did, that same word appears in the negative in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Let's turn over there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Uh, We're about to talk about these things on Wednesday night here in a couple of weeks. We have three of those let us statements found here at the end or toward the middle of chapter 10 in verses 19 through 25. In verse 24, we're told, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And one specific way that we do that, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. New King James says the manner of some. I I like the ESV's rendering of this verse. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our habit, our routine should be meeting together. And he says, you've established a poor habit. Uh, the, The habit of some is not meeting. That's your routine. But for us as Christians to to consider one another and stir one another up to love and good works, our habit, our manner should be assembling together. And so my question is, how do you build your week? What what things go into your calendar that, that will not be removed? You know, we... We jostle things around in our calendars on our phone or whether that's a physical calendar, however you go about doing that, whether you just keep it all in your mind, whatever. We move things around to accommodate different people, the things that are important to us. You know, I want to be here for my kid because they've asked me to be at this occasion or this ball game or whatever, so I'm going to move my calendar around to try and make that happen. What things do we put in our calendar and they stay there? And then we build everything else around it. Do we build our whole week around coming to worship on Sundays and Wednesdays? I I, I know Wednesday is a tradition. I understand that. I know that. It's a custom, a routine for spiritual growth and encouragement. But isn't that the exact thing we're talking about this morning? That I'm building these things into my life on a regular basis so that I might be who it is God has called me to be, so that my schedule is dictated by Him. Is our attitude, you know, this is going to happen. This is where you're going to find me here or worshiping somewhere, no matter what else happens at these times. And not just that, of course, every day are we found serving him in the same sorts of ways. Some of the ways that we're going to talk about, reading and study and prayer, and yes, personal worship. God should be the one who builds our calendars. He does if we will allow him to do so and maybe the question is when it comes to our routines in regard to God do we work him into our schedule or is our schedule built around him do we work ourselves into his schedule into his calendar and certainly we think about coming to worship in those terms but also our, our daily Bible study. And, and in some ways, this is a part of the motivation behind the sermon this morning. Uh, confession time. Uh, I feel like I should have a special thing that comes up on the screen when it's time for me to confess something. Uh, confession time 
my family has not done as well on our daily Bible readings in the summer as we did during the last school year. Um, we do great. We do great on those readings in the school year because there's a routine. We're trying to get to bed at a certain time, and we got to do this, this, and this. And part of that checklist of things we do before bed is we do our daily Bible reading as a family. We say a prayer as a family and so forth. But in the summer, well, who knows what time exactly we're going to go to bed and what we're going to be doing or even where we're going to be and some of those things. Well, here's our chance as a family to get back on the wagon to uh, get back on the bell, as it were, and say, well, this is our routine, and we're going to stick to that routine of doing our daily Bible reading with the family. Um, that's us. I don't know about for you. But if you have neglected that daily study, that daily reading, now is a great time to begin that again. What about prayer? Isn't that an area where we should establish routine? If you look at the life of Jesus, perhaps this is where we see his routine come out more than, than any other area of his life. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we're told that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was his habit throughout his ministry. And I assume that it was his habit earlier in life as well. We're just not told those things. We see him praying before meals on multiple occasions, at least four occasions, probably more in the Gospels. We see that Jesus prayed before partaking of some meal. We remember, and we, we, we noticed earlier, at least referred to Daniel. And Daniel establishing that habit of praying three times a day. And he did that as a youth. And he did it even as an old man. And that was so well known that his enemies sought to make a law against all things of praying to any other god except the king. And they did that knowing that Daniel would pray anyway because that, that was his faith, yes, but that was also the routine that he had set for himself. And we notice with Jesus, as we referred to earlier, going to the Mount of Olives, going to the garden to pray, what did he establish? There was a time in the evening... And there was a place in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to pray. Do we establish those same sort of routines in our life in regard to prayer? Uh, wow, it's been a number of months ago now, seven, eight months ago, I was approached by someone, a, a sister in Christ, who asked me to pray for something very specific. Um, and this is something that's ongoing in, in her life. And so she said, will you pray for this? And, uh, and I said, yes. Well, what does that mean? I'm obligated to pray for that, right? And uh, that's important to me. It's important to me to keep my vow, but it's also important that I believe that makes a difference. I believe that God is working in the lives of Christians, that prayer is powerful. Um, and so what I decided to do is there's going to be a time where I pray for this sister and this specific thing she asked me to pray for. And so I have a reminder on my phone that goes off at 3 p.m. every day. And at 3 p.m. every day... Um, if I possibly can, at that time, I stop and pray for this specific one. Now, sometimes that's interrupted. I'll get back to it if I can during the day. But I don't even need the reminder on my phone anymore. At 3 p.m., I know that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be praying. What about a, what about a place? Do you have places where you go to pray? It says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, deserted places, in order to pray. He had places where he went that he might be alone and pray. For me, it's uh, evening and morning. 
And the bed at night is a place where I always pray. I say my prayers when I'm in bed by myself at night. Sometimes I fall asleep. Anybody else fall asleep while they're praying at night? You can raise your hand. My dad, I love the way he puts it. He says, I don't feel bad falling asleep. I'm falling asleep in the arms of Jesus. I love that, don't you? When I'm in bed at night, I'm going to pray before I go to sleep. How better to end my day than that? And in the morning, I'm groggy and a little bit grumpy sometimes and so forth. And so for me, it's in the shower. When I'm showering in the morning and I shower every morning, I'm going to pray while I'm in the shower. That's a place where I'm going to pray. And those routines are established in my life where that's going to happen. And when we think about before meals, we think about all these different times where we might regulate it in that way, the school year helps with this because I'm going to bed and getting up at the same time every day. Establish these routines for prayer. And it's not that we think we're going to be heard for our many words. That's not the idea. This is not vain repetition, of course. But what it is is establishing a time where we might pray from our heart. And it's not just coming to worship, of course, but it's preparing for worship where we should have a routine. What's your routine for getting the kids ready in the morning or maybe even the night before? Do you lay out their clothes? Is there an alarm that goes off? Those sorts of things. Well, what if we establish those same sort of routines in regard to our our mornings on Sundays? We lay out the clothes the night before. We get to bed at a certain time and we make the kids do that as well. And if you're a kid who's become a Christian... Well, some of the Otis is on you to do those things. Don't stay up all night playing video games or reading or whatever else where you can't stay awake when you come to worship your God. Do your homework for for Bible class. And you need to establish good habits in order to do this. All of those things you do for school, apply those same sort of routines for coming to worship. And maybe we prepare on the way. Maybe our custom or habit Or tradition that we get into as a family is listening to hymns in the car on the way. Certainly beats arguing, right? Or or the kids' Bible songs on the way to services. Or, Or maybe you listen to the Bible reading in the car on the way as a reminder. Those are easy things. All of us have to drive some distance, except for Harold and Bev. We have to drive some distance in order to get here, right? What am I doing with that time, with that routine, to prepare myself for worship? We think of things in a maybe more negative way, regulating electronics use. What am I doing and how much am I doing it? What are my kids doing and how much are they doing it? We get into some bad habits in the summer sometimes in regard to these things. And this provides us a good opportunity to get out of those bad habits, to kick those bad habits. I've told you uh, that I've had to put Twitter in timeout before. At the beginning of this school year, uh, I deleted it from my phone. Now, I can still access it on my computer. Um, I can go to uh, the Google Chrome even on my phone and, and get on it as well. But why? Well, I realized I'd gotten to this habit, this routine of first thing when I get up in the morning, my alarm would go off. I'd shut my alarm off. I don't want to get out of bed, but I know I'd, I need to stay awake. And so I would spend maybe five minutes on Twitter every morning. You know what? That's just like the worst way to begin your day. And so I had to put it in time out. I've got to establish better habits on that. And so that's what I've striven to do. And with us and our kids, maybe that's some things that we need to do as well. What about doing for others? Summer is a time of travel for many of us. We're here and there and yawn. And so there's less focus on what we can do for others, those things like visiting or writing cards or making food. 
And that's a season, literally, the summer. It's a season when those things happen, perhaps. But life is not just about living for ourselves and our family and our friends. It's living for others. So now is the time to reestablish good habits and doing for others in those things. But whatever you choose to do, whatever habits you choose, routines you choose to put in place, may I encourage you to just make God a part of every day. And that every day He's a part of your day in these same ways. Now, God can intrude in our day in, in wonderful and glorious ways, right? We were driving yesterday, and there's this, this huge rainbow, and we're talking about the rainbow and the promises of God. That's God intruding upon my day in a positive way. It, it's not something that was planned. It's not something that's routine, and, and we need to be looking for that. We need to see God in all of those things, but that's not really what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is, in a planned and predetermined way, I want to make God a part of everything that I do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, of course, is maybe the best example of this. With the uh, children of Israel who were on this calendar, in this routine, relying on God for all of these things. For the wilderness generation, down to getting up in the morning and going and get some manna six days a week, we find this description in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Maybe this is as good a time as any to say this. Having routines with the things of God, establishing good habits and traditions, doesn't mean that you don't love God. It means that you do. You love Him enough to make sure that He's a part of your life, no matter what else is going on. And so, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That's your day. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. How often do we look at our hand? And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates when you go out and when you come in, evening and morning. What he's describing is a life that is consumed with the routine things of God. God was a part of everything. Every routine revolved around him, speaking about him, praising him, acknowledging his work in their lives every single day. And whether it's summer or the school year, whether you're impacted by school starting or not this morning, whether you have kids or not, that's something that should be true of every one of us, that God is a part of every day. And I've built my calendar, my routine, around God and things of God. You know, I think maybe I've revealed this to y'all before. I know personally I've revealed this to some of you. I like teaching, um, teaching Bible class more than I like preaching. I enjoy preaching, but I enjoy teaching Bible class more. And ironically, you know one of the reasons why I enjoy teaching Bible class more? Because of the bell. Because of the bell. And you say, well, I know all the bad things you've said about that bell, all the bad things you've thought about that bell. That happened this morning, didn't it? Yeah, everybody's piling up out there in the foyer because I can't shut up. But you know what that bell means? It means nobody's 
nobody's thinking, when is this going to be over? We know when it's going to be over. You know what that bell means? It means for this time that we have set aside, we have a tradition, a routine, that for these 40 minutes we're going to consider things of a spiritual nature and everybody's focused during that time. That routine allows us to all be focused on what we're doing, not how much time is left. And good routines in our lives spiritually allow us to do the same thing. It allows us to put our focus back where it needs to be, back on God and the things of God, because these are just the things that we do, the natural ebb and flow the rhythm of our lives. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you realize that your calendar and your life, your day, your week, your month, your year is not built around God. To be the Christian God has called you to be, that's what's required. That He comes first in all things. Even in that, coming first implies an order, doesn't it? And so if there is something that we can do to help you with that, obviously there are wise men and women who can help you. The, the shepherds here would be glad to talk to you about some of the routines that you might put into your life. But what sometimes it does is it allows sin to creep in because spiritual things are pushed to the side. And if you've found sin in your life that needs to be made right, our tradition is to allow you the opportunity to make it right even this morning. And of course, if you're not yet a Christian... Um, you know who knows what you need in life more than anybody else, more than a parent or your psychologist or whatever the case might be? It is God. God created you. He knows the things that you need. And what you needed most of all was to have your sins forgiven, washed away by the blood of His Son. And you have the opportunity, even this morning, to begin a life of service to Him. To go down into a watery grave of baptism, yes, but to rise to walk in newness of life. A life that is now directed by God. If we can help you with either one of those things, even this morning, come now. While together we stand and while we sing. There's a great day coming, a great day.